Joel chapter 3, verse number 1. Joel chapter 3, verse number 1, and it reads as follows. For behold, in those days and that time when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead for them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. And they have cast lots for my people and given a boy for an harlot and sold a girl for wine that they might drink. Yea, and what have they ye to do with me, O Tyre and Zidon and all the coasts of Palestine? Will ye render me a recompense? If ye recompense me, swiftly and speedily will I return your recompense upon your own head. Because ye have taken my silver and my gold and carried into your temples my goodly and pleasant things. The children of Judah and also the children of Jerusalem have ye sold into the Grecians that you might remove them far from their border. Behold, I will raise them out of the place whither ye have sold them and return your recompense upon your own head. And I will sell your sons and your daughters into the hand of the children of Judah and they shall, and, and they shall sell them to the Sabians, to a people far off, for the Lord has spoken it. Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles, prepare war. Wake up the mighty men, let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up, beat your plowshares into swords, and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble yourselves and come, all ye heathen, and gather yourselves together round about. Thither cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. Let the heathen be weakened and come up into the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Put ye in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come get you down, for the press is full, and the vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes, in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon shall be darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion, and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of his people, and the strength of the children of Israel. So shall you know that I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then shall Jerusalem be holy, and there shall no strangers pass through her any more. And it shall come to pass in that day that the mountains shall drop down new wine, and the hills shall flow with milk, and all the rivers of Judah shall flow with waters. And a fountain shall come forth of the house of the Lord, and shall water the valley of Shittim. Egypt shall be a desolation, Edom shall be a desolate wilderness, and the violence against the children of Judah, because they have shed innocent blood in their land. But Judah shall dwell forever, and Jerusalem from generation to generation. For I will cleanse their blood that I have not cleansed, for the Lord dwelleth in Zion. Let's pray before we look at these verses. Dear God, thank you for your Bible, that we have your Bible to learn from, that your Bible is your word, that it is our guide, that it is our hope. May you be with us now as I try to speak the words from your Bible right now. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So today, we're actually going to wrap up our study of the book of Joel. It's been a short book, only three chapters. So believe it or not, we'll finish this in less than one year. I don't know if we can do any kind of recap or anything like that, but this is going to be it for the substantive study. Maybe we'll mention it a little bit before we go on to our next book next time, which, unless anyone has any protests, we'll probably just go on to the next book, Amos, right? We've been studying Joel and we've been focusing on the overarching theme. The overarching theme is that God is sovereign. God is all-powerful, right? The thing that Israel basically forgot. And that's been the focus of this study. Everything has kind of related back 
to that same theme, right? And this is a message that is for all time. Remember, at the very start, we noted how Joel was kind of an unknown guy at an unknown time. Well, they didn't give us those details because it doesn't matter. His message is for all time. Throughout history, back then, when Israel was doing all their sin, and even today, as we continue to sin on and on, we need to remember that message, that God is sovereign, God is all-powerful, God is in control. How was this demonstrated? We studied in Joel. First, through the illustration of natural disasters, right? Whether it be locusts or droughts or whatever, all these things, these bad things happening to Israel, predicted, reminders of how God is in control, right? And so much so it is today that we still call them, even people who don't believe in God, they call them what? Acts of God, right? Despite how much science has advanced, technology advanced, no one can say for certain, right? When is the earthquake coming? No one knows, right? We have no way of predicting it. It could happen today, it could happen 50 years from now, the big earthquake in San Francisco. Who knows, right? All they can, the best they can tell us, the scientists say, oh, it'll sometime, it will happen sometime within 30 years or something like that, right? That's the best they can say, right? Only God knows. Only God is in control. And how helpless are we in the face of God's awesome power? We can't do anything when that ground starts shaking, right? We can't do anything when the fire starts burning, when the volcano erupts, when, you know, fill in the blank, whatever it is, right? Nothing that we can do but turn to God and hope that God is on our side. Is that true or not? The second illustration God talked about was about invading armies, right? About Israel being conquered, right? Same type of thing, right? That he allows this, predicts this to happen, right? God's all-powerful, even over these type of uh, political affairs, military affairs, whatever, that they would suffer also at the hands of invading armies. The children of Israel would, right? And this would continue, all these trials and so on. It talks about even in, up until the day of the Lord. And we've mentioned that a little bit. We'll talk more about that in the future, not today. But the day of the Lord, as we know, is the day Jesus returns, right? It's the day that Jesus returns and also that time period of when Jesus returns, right? It's, you know, this whole idea, this whole concept. And that's the kind of time period that, you know, represents what we would say the end times, right? It's the end when you get to the day of the Lord, right? At least according to the book of Revelation, which some of you guys have studied and looked at in Sunday school and so on and so forth. That's how long God's power lasts. From beginning to the end. From beginning to the end. We saw when we studied chapter 2, though, that there was a call to repentance, which there often always is, right? The call to repent, right, in verse 12. The call, it says, to turn with fasting and weeping and mourning for a true repentance, right? Not just with words and saying, I'm sorry, but the actions that back it up to say, God, yeah, we're sorry for our sins, right? And last time we saw was the result. If Israel did that, what would the result be? A great restoration. That's what chapter 2, verses uh, 18 to 32, which we talked about last time we're talking about, right? Talking about how, you know, before there was drought and the crops died, now all the corn will grow back, right? There'll be so much more, right? And then the armies that were there, They'd be removed. The invading arms would be gone, right? 
all the trees that bear fruit and so on and so forth. We'll look at it in detail, right? About how God really can also bless. That's right. God's blessing is also a reminder of his sovereignty. That God shows how powerful he is, demonstrates to Israel how powerful he is, by showing that, hey, all that stuff, just like I could take away stuff from you, I can bless you. And we see it, again, throughout time, even today, right? We know through our lives how much God has blessed us. Shouldn't that be a reminder to us also? An encouragement to us also to stay faithful to him. Yet so many people often get doubt, get uncertainty, get unnecessary stress and strain from thinking that God can't help them when we have trouble today. No, 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 no. God gives us these verses, these stories, to show us that he can and will do it. He will redeem us. He will save us. He'll take care of us. Just as a father would take care of their child, our heavenly father takes care of us. Doesn't mean he's gonna give us like, you know, fabulous riches and all those things. No, just like your father probably didn't give you fabulous riches and all those stuff. But of course your father took care of you, right? Made sure you didn't starve to death, made sure you didn't freeze from having no clothes or whatever. Likewise, our heavenly father does the same, right? He shows his sovereignty through his blessing of all of us. And that's why we read about this restoration, the coming restoration of Israel. Now we're going to study chapter 3, which talks more about that restoration. And specifically, what happens to all these like invading countries and stuff, right? Because we know it says, verse 1, right? When it talks about the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, right? How Israel got conquered, right? But other people. What will happen? What will happen? Verse 2, God will gather those nations, the ones that oppressed them, right? And what's going to happen? Though these nations are the ones that scattered Israel among all the nations. And we know that the Jews were, in fact, scattered into all the nations, right? And they've done all these things, right? Well, what is the result here, right? And there's even more about what they did, right? It talks about the different countries, right? Like four, verse 4. Tyre and Zion, these places, right? In verse 6, about how the children of Jerusalem were sold to the Grecians, right? All these things, right? Verse 7 is where we start seeing what's, what's going to happen. What is God going to do, right? Verse 7, it says, he's going to bring them back, right? I will raise them out of the place where you sold them and return them for your recompense, talking to the other nations, right? Upon your own head. And I will sell your sons and daughters into the hand of the children of daughter and the children of Judah, right? That all these people that were oppressing Israel will now themselves be uh, oppressed, right? It says what in verse 9 to the Gentiles? Prepare war, right? War is going to come to these guys now, right? Verse 12, let the heathen be weakened. Why? Because God says what in verse 12? I sit to judge the heathen round about, right? And if it weren't any more clear, right, we go down to verse like 19, 20, 21, 19 talks about Egypt, right? Egypt shall be a desolation. Edom shall be a desolate wilderness. The violence 
Why? For the violence against the children of Judah, because they have shed innocent blood in their land. What will happen instead? Judah shall dwell forever, and Jerusalem from generation to generation. This is basically talking about not only the restoration of, like we saw last time, of the crops and the land and all this, but also kind of like a political type restoration. That this land that was once conquered, they were conquered and pressed, scattered. Israel's going to be restored, right? And all these other countries, they're going to get what they're due, right? For all the bad things they've done, right? They will get their justice, right? And without going all the details of all the stuff that you may or may not know, or, you know, Revelation and the end times, no, generally speaking, this is what it's going to be like in when the day of the Lord comes, right? We know eventually, right? And then it mentions it right here. we skip that verse here, right? It was verse uh, number... Oh, which verse was that? When he mentions that this, all this, it, uh, on, uh, in the day of the Lord, it's in one of these verses we read earlier. Yes. Can't see it off the top of my head right now, but that this is the full restoration of Israel and Judah. You know, Israel and Judah, same thing, right? The the children of Israel, the Jews, right? See, a lot of people, I bet, even in their days, wonder, right? They read prophecies like this. Oh, you know, God's powerful and God's in charge and all this stuff. But at the same time. They looked around in their world that they were living in, and they would say to themselves, God's so powerful, look at us. We, Israel, we are like a subjugated nation. We're conquered, right? And we know from history how many different countries conquered that, the Middle East, the Israel area, right? Whether it be like, you know, Muslims or Romans and Persians and, you know, Europeans and all sorts of different countries. They've been all over that area conquering them, right? So, they would look at this prophecy and say, how is that showing that you're so powerful, God? We continue to be conquered. We have no freedom. We've got nothing, right? How are you saying that you're the sovereign guy and all-powerful? This doesn't seem true to me at all, right? They might think that. What they don't realize is that they don't understand the scope of God's power and the scope of this prophecy. Yes, it was true. It's historical fact that Israel was oppressed for many, many, many years. But here's the thing. Remember, it talks about here about a lot of this happening in when? The day of the Lord. In the future. Right? Our God is a powerful God. Is a just God. Right? He's going to make sure those people that did bad things, that murdered these people, that oppressed people, that conquered people, they get their justice. But it's gonna be on his time and in his standard. What does that mean? It's not gonna be on your demand. For us, oh, we love cause and effect, right? You did a bad thing on Tuesday, we wish God strike you dead on Wednesday, right? God doesn't work on that time. God doesn't follow that time period. He has his own time period. I guess it's like that when you are you know, immortal, everlasting, all-powerful, right? When you're like that, you don't think in terms of, oh, what's happening just on one day and the next day, right? You think on a broad, broad scope. You're not going to worry about, oh, I have to take care of this right now when you've got all eternity on your side. That's the way God acts, right? I mean, it's kind of like us, right? When we have 
time to put off stuff, we will sometimes, right? Like, oh, if you know, like, you know, like we were in school, you have a project, it's due in two weeks. You're not gonna say, ah, oh, I'm gonna work on it tomorrow and get it done and then relax for the next two weeks, right? No one does that. When I was in school, what I do? I was doing two weeks. You wait till it gets closer to two weeks and then you go do it, right? Now imagine you're God and then you don't even have a two week limitation. You can do stuff whatever you want. Well, that's why he can do it. He can dish out his justice on his timing when he feels when it makes sense for him. Even for us humans, it might not make sense. We'd say, oh, I wish that these people that did bad, they did all these bad things to Israel, they should be punished the next day, the next week, the next month. That'll teach him a lesson, right? No, that's not the way God works. That's not the way he works. We see his prophecy. Some of these people might not even get their judgment until the day Jesus comes, right? Until the day of the Lord. But that's actually a good thing for all of us. Because imagine, imagine if justice were so swift that you sin on Tuesday and you get struck down on Wednesday. Well, think about all the sins we do. Oh my, I'd be struck dead probably a thousand times by now, right? 10,000 times for all the bad that I've done in my life and for all the bad you've done in your life. Israel probably would have been wiped off the face of the earth, right? For all the sins they did and for all what they deserve. No, our God is a loving God. Our God gives us that chance, that opportunity to what? As we talked about in the previous thing, to repent, to repent, to come back, to get that restoration back in the story here. In Joel, talking about the restoration on earth, the restoring of all these like uh, physical things of land and crops and all that stuff. But for us today, the restoration of everlasting life. Even better, is it not? That through our repentance, when he calls us to repent now, we get everlasting life in heaven. Now, despite the fact that this is true, we still lose sight of it all today. How many people think like this nowadays? People that don't know God, that don't understand God, that don't understand God's power. How many times have they asked a Christian, wondered of a Christian, oh, these questions like, you know, if God is so loving and so just and so powerful, how come in the world today, or in the world in the history, right, there have been all these like bad, you know, regimes and bad rulers. How could God allow that to happen? How can there be like a Hitler that goes and kills millions of people? Or, you know, communists that kill millions of people and oppress all these people? Or today, you'd say, how can there be like an ISIS? Oh, they killed so many people. They're so horrible. How is that fair, God? God, you're all powerful. I don't believe you because you allow all this evil to happen in the world. This is, a fair, this is a question people ask today, right? People that doubt God, that don't believe in God, they'll point to this question. Think about this. Answer is the same as it was even back in Joel's day, that God's judgment does come for all these people, that God's judgment is real, and it comes for everybody. But it's not on the scale that we think. It's not, oh, the terrorists are bad, they should die tomorrow. God's gonna punish them tomorrow. It doesn't work that way. God's on his timing and his way. Think about it this way, think about it this way. Those bad things, those bad people that we mentioned. All of those guys, is it true or is it not true that eventually they do get what's coming to them, right? Did the Hitler Germany last forever? No, it lasted for quite a long time, right? Like over a decade or whatever. But eventually, he's gone, right? He's dead, right? All the communists in Russia 
last for decades and decades. Well, eventually, they lost. They're gone. They got kicked out, right? And you could go throughout history, right? Whatever the oppressive regime is, right? Oh, it's the, the Muslim empire in the Middle East. Well, you guys know there's no Muslim empire in the Middle East anymore, right? It was there. It was there for hundreds of years. But eventually, it's gone. We have to trust in God that he knows what's right and that he delivers a judgment that he knows is right in his time, right? Even if it goes all the way to the end of time, right? Even if you have to wait decades, years and years or whatever, God knows there's no hiding from him, right? There's no hiding. He knows all of our hearts. He knows all of our sins. It's not for us to judge and to say, oh, this has got to happen and this has got to be this. In fact, doesn't Jesus say, judge not that ye be judged. It's not our role to figure out, oh, who gets the punishment and this and that. Leave it to God. You know, sometimes, sometimes Elaine gets frustrated me sometimes, right? When I sometimes take things too easy, right? Like, oh, Sometimes, like, for example, you go to a restaurant, right? And the waiter is, like, really rude. You get, like, bad service. Bad waiter, really rude and all stuff. And so Elaine would expect me to go and say, like, oh, you should give them, like, zero tips, right? And you got to go complain to the guy's manager. But, you know, I don't do that. I say, you know, whatever, he's treated us badly. He's mean to us or whatever. But, you know, I still give him, like, give him less tips or whatever, right? I'm not going to go complain to his manager and ruin everything or whatever. I say, just let it go, right? Why? Uh, if he's really that bad and sinful or whatever, God will be the judge, right? He'll get whatever he gets, right? His, ju- his judgment comes to him. His sin is on him. I don't need to go and, like, waste my time punishing him or thinking about how bad I can treat this guy or whatever. So many people today are wrapped up in that, right? Oh, I need to get revenge, right? In the most extreme cases, you see on the news, the extreme cases would be like, oh, you see like, oh, it's like the wife cheats on the husband and the husband says, I need to get revenge. And so he murders the husband, the wife, right? That's the extreme case, right? But still, there's a lot of that goes on that people are all wrapped up and they spend their time, their effort and energy saying, oh, I got to get this justice. Make sure that there's justice in the world and fight for all these things, you know? Not necessarily a bad thing to think about, but it really shouldn't be the Christian focus, right? Look at today. One of the biggest things in the news today, we see even just this week, we hear so much about it, is this so-called social justice movement made very big in the media recently this week by Colin Kaepernick and Nike ads talking about how we need to fight racism, justice for black people, right? No being murdered by cops and all these things. Now, you know, all those things are you know, good and right and all these things. But for Christians, our focus ought to be on godly things, right? It shouldn't be, let's march against the police, right? Let's march against police brutality or whatever, right? We need to get justice. You know, God is going to judge those police officers, the ones that do the bad things and murder the black people or whatever. Really, it's in God's hands, right? Our job is to do crazy stuff like we're seeing on next door, right? It's to get people saved, right? To get people to know more about God, to teach them that. And then, by the way, as Melvin often says, if you taught more people about God, they would not do stuff like police brutality and all those things, right? And murder black people and whatever, whatever else, right? That's the way God wants this to go forward. We're not focused on, let me get my own revenge or whatever, right? And focus on getting my own justice. 
God is the arbiter of justice from the beginning to the end. That's why he says, even in the day of the Lord, he's there. Even in the day of the Lord. And that's God's sovereignty. That's God's power. And that's what Joel keeps harping about. And that's what we've really studied in the book of Joel. That God's all-powerful. God's watching over all this. And that we ought to trust in him and follow him. And if we do that, we're all on the right track. Let's bow forward to prayer to finish up. Dear God, thank you for our time studying the book of Joel. A great reminder of how powerful you are. How we ought to follow you. You can bless. You can punish. You can do it all. You take care of everything. We don't need to worry. We just follow you. Be, be obedient. And you are there for us. God, we thank you so much that we have a powerful, loving, wonderful God. I want to pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.